tail of the bottomless blue and its hay to the starboard he pole. Look out, madam, mermaid, be waiting for you in mysterious fathoms below. Fathoms below, below, from whence wayward westerlies blow. Where Triton is king and his merpeople sing in mysterious fathoms below. What to do, theologizers? We are back in action. When I say we, I don't mean the usual we. I don't mean me and Benny Boy, junior brother to Brett. I mean back for the first time since I don't even remember what episode it was. Almost a year ago, uh, she joined us for our lively discussion on the uh, episode where we talked about Jesus being fully God and fully human. It is... The Theo Sis, number one of both of our Theo Sisses, the older, Tori Toto Yanimoto, Cook 3000, the woman, the intellectual, the just overall connoisseur of life, Victoria Tori Cook, my sister, my my dear, dear sister. How you doing, Tor? Careful, Brett. That sounded <laughs> bordering condescending. <laughs> condescending that was all loved her what are you talking about it was so flattering that it had to be sarcastic it couldn't be sincere tori i i was every pore of my being was genuine <laughs> with every word i just spoke okay don't question me how's it going tori i'm glad you're joining us this week it's, it's this going week like we like we do it once a week <laughs> this uh I, month and a half or two months however often we do this show sorry how you doing tori I'm doing good. How are you? Good. What's going on in your life as of late? Nothing that would interest the viewers. Tori, these aren't viewers. These are listeners. Okay. No, get it right. You, that does make sense, Brett. I, I get why you see that they're not viewing this, but they're listening. Yeah. No, Tori, she won't say, but Tori is a speech pathologist over in Melbourne. Uh, she's also getting her master's, so she's she's hustling life for sure. Um, so don't let don't let Tori fool you with her, her uh, downplaying what's going on. Tori Tori's own, <laughs> Tori is owning life. Okay. <laughs> I'll take it, it. All right, Tori, you take that. So theologizers i know we've been talking about it for a long time i think we've been talking about it the last three episodes you know just bsing about how we're going to get to this topic <laughs> <laughs> and we never got around to it and we finally are getting around to it and you know benjamin you know he was he, he moved from syracuse to ithaca and you know he hasn't had his mic on his person in like two months so he uh, he's, he's going to sit this one out. That's why he's not uh, joining us this week. For The Little Mermaid, our second episode dedicated to a Disney movie. We did The Lion King back in January, February. And now we are going to discuss the theology of the 1989 instant Disney classic animated film, which started the Disney renaissance, The Little Mermaid. And I thought Tori would be a great one to have on in Ben's absence to discuss this because you know Tori grew up on this movie as well, and uh, she was a young girl watching this movie, and and um, I think there was a lot of uh, powerful and beautiful themes for young girls to take 
from this movie. There's probably some themes they shouldn't be taking from this movie, but there are <laughs> there are some good ones as well. Tori, what are your memories and what are your thoughts on uh, The Little Mermaid? What's your own personal experience with this movie? Um, I remember always liking it. I It's funny, when I was younger, I remember watching all the Disney movies, but I don't remember like having one that I just loved more than the rest. I don't remember like, oh, I love The Little Mermaid or I love Cinderella. It wasn't until I got older and I kind of rewatched them that I kind of um, kind of had renewed appreciation. Uh, I rewatched The Little Mermaid after years recently and I had a really good run through. I remember thinking, oh, this movie is well paced. You know, it's wittier than I thought. So it was just kind of a better movie than I remembered. So I really like Little Mermaid. It hasn't hasn't been one of my favorites but i had like a renewed appreciation recently totally it's actually funny you say that because i actually just recently um watched it again straight through for the first time i i, I want to literally say since i was maybe an early teenager or a, a child I, I i don't know i couldn't even remember last time i watched it straight through and I, I had a really good viewing of it as well tori so it's cool that we we both recently had a similar experience with it um, Tori, you mentioned pacing. That's so true. Mm -hmm. I was I noticed it was a really well paced mm -hmm. movie, and I think pacing in films is so critical. To it is you don't realize it until you see something that's not well paced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll give an example. I love the Beauty and the Beast, for example. But mm -hmm. when I rewatched it, I felt like it was almost a little rushed. Um, it's a great movie, but I don't know. You tell me, Tori. I felt like that one. No, I actually had a the identical thought when I rewatched it. I was like, oh, this is just, just something's happening. Something's happening again. It's just yeah. like things are just coming and, you know, like things that should be taking time. You know, it's like they had to fit too long of a span of time and too short. Yeah. Of kind of a movie. Like stuff moves. I And I don't know, I don't know what the, the technique to that is. Like a movie that feels rushed compared to pacing, but there's some art there because a well-paced movie doesn't necessarily mean it's a longer movie. It, it, yeah. There's just something about the way the story is presented where character develop. Yeah. Character development and the way the story progresses feels more natural. Yes. I, I agree. Yeah, everything is naturally connected together and flows into each other. It doesn't feel like, oh, well, that just happened. Whoa, how did we get here? Yeah, yeah. Or, oh, we're taking really long on this. Yeah, exactly. So, without further ado, adieu, 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 adieu. <laughs> a dove, a deer, a female deer. La, a la, 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 la. Me, a name. The Theology of the Sound of Music. That'd be no, interesting. No, that if we be. can pull theology out of The Little Mermaid, we can pull it out of anything. Tori, easy. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't nothing you can't pull theology out of, listeners. Use your imagination on that. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Hashtag kidding. So, without... Hashtag won't save you now. <laughs> So without further ado, let's get into the theology of The Little Mermaid. So Tori, why don't you start by getting us nice and snuggled into this story? Can you give us a little bit of um, an insight into how the film begins and what, uh, 
what takes place early on in the film and then we'll look at maybe some possible uh theological ideas that uh kind of seep out of that that portion of the film so how does how does this movie start tor okay so the movie starts with um well let's give you the setup so king trident is like the ruler of the seas he's very powerful and part of that comes from his trident and he has a lot of daughters i'm not sure how many but um generally speaking they're all kind of well behaved and fall in line they're content with their lives but there's one daughter ariel who is the youngest and she's considered to be the most beautiful and has the most beautiful voice and she's a bit of a rebel child and the reason being is she is not content in her surroundings she has an insatiable curiosity towards the surface world she wants to discover things that are new and so one of the first scenes that you see is king trident is putting on um a musical and this was something that she kind of had not been going to practice for and while she was off collecting um something some trinket from the human world she realized she completely forgot to show up for the actual performance and ended up kind of embarrassing her father and her sisters kind of where the first kind of conflict is introduced between Ariel and her father. Yes. And that, that's definitely a main point of conflict in the film is King Triton and Ariel, um, which is your classic father daughter relationship where the, the father is very overprotective um, and wants to, has this tendency to con- want to control his, his children out of love for them. And the mother's um, always dead if it's a Disney movie. Yeah, yeah. The mom is nowhere to be found <laughs> in this movie. I don't know where Mrs. Triton is. Mrs. Um, Triton is is dead like every other Disney <laughs> mom. It's her her, <laughs> the her of the Disney princess mom. Her, her head is stuffed on Eric's wall in the city. Like <laughs> probably, Brett. Yeah. That's the reality. Okay. There's if you think of the implications of uh thinking about all those humans like fishing and harpooning. Those she fish. Did, I mean, King Trident mentions it. It's savage. Sure, Tori. She definitely got harpooned. <laughs> she got totally pooned. But um, yeah, so you see that conflict in a lot of films with uh, father and daughter figures, especially when the daughter has is more of this free spirit, more of this mm-hmm. this rebel that has this curiosity um, about her. Which is always true of the new Disney princess. The old ones were always very yeah traditional and they were always very in line and then they intentionally made like every other disney princess kind of the same personality kind of apt kind of this like explorative curious kind of now they're really kind of like quirky they all kind of have like kind of similar personality which is supposed to be kind of the antithesis of 
what was once considered oops the ideal yeah personality in a sense in some respects tori what what how, what would you say is uh is is some similarities and maybe some some differences in the way that the 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 fatherhood of king triton is presented in the little merman as opposed to maybe the the fatherhood of god within the christian faith okay well let's see so you want me to do similarities and differences yeah yeah okay well one similarity would be um kind of the idea that sometimes you feel like maybe God is withholding good things from you, but he kind of sees the larger picture of what might be dangerous, you know, what might not be kind of the best for you. Yeah. And so um, I would say that could be like kind of a, a similar conflict maybe between Ariel and her father and maybe a person in God, you know, is we're not able to see the bigger picture or the danger of going about things the wrong way, potentially. Yeah. Uh, the difference is, of course, King Trident is, his is based on fear, you know. His is based on avoiding a negative. Whereas with God, I think the ultimate goal is always gaining a positive, like gaining something more. Yes. It's not protecting us from pain. It's not protecting us. It's giving us something that it's the pain was worth it, giving us something greater. Yeah. You know, and, and so that sense, Ariel much more represents God because it's reaching towards something, moving us from our situation rather than just keeping us there and just kind of trying to bubble wrap us in a sense. So I guess that is where King Trident is diverges greatly from kind of how God operates and his plans for us. Yeah, for sure. Those are those are good observations. Um, yeah, it's it's funny that it's it's interesting that you made the difference between how King Triton operates in his protectiveness of Ariel out of fear, as opposed to to God operating out of his protectiveness of us and our well being out of out of love. Mm -hmm. And th those are like you said, the the antithesis of each other. Um, the Bible says that there is no fear in love. Like those, those are the, are almost the opposite. They're opposites of one another. Um, uh, true love uh, has zero fear and fear uh, tends to um, uh, suffocate love and the, the peace that love brings. Um and I, I know, I know that's you know. I think that's a tendency, though. The, the, the King Triton, the King Triton character. I think that's a tendency that we all fall into as human beings in different relationships, whether it be a, being a father or being a mother or being a husband or a wife or a brother or sister or a friend. Um, those that are close to us and those that we love dearly, we I think we do tend to, um, and it comes from a good place, but 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 it kind of have this have a little bit of fear at work because we're, I think we're so scared of, of losing those people or damaging those relationships, you know, cause they're so precious to us. Um, I think, I think that's part of living in a broken world, you know, where there is a lot of things that can go wrong. <laughs> so we tend to try to control things and, and try 
to be maybe a little bit more overprotective of certain relationships because of of that fear? Oh, I I think when you don't know the future, when you know, then you're more likely to avoid a negative and give in to fear. And that's kind of difference between God. But when you know the outcome, when you know the end goal, then you're much more focused on gaining more, gaining the positive, I feel like. Yes. Because fear, you know, in my mind, fear is kind of like the antithesis, not the antithesis of faith, but it's, fear is, um... I guess it's kind of, I don't know how to describe it. So you're making, you're making the comparison between fear and and faith, right? So is that what you were trying, where you're trying to go with it? Like faith is, is a a, more of a a trusting kind of push Mm -hmm. forward where fear, it almost like, is almost like something that keeps you from pursuing or moving forward in faith. Because part yes. of faith is there being an aspect of, of something that's unknown that and, you don't have certainty about. That's true. And, and fear is at least entertaining the belief on some level that the negative outcome will occur. Yes. On some level. Not that if you're afraid of something and, you, you know, that doesn't mean lack of, I mean, if you had perfect faith, you wouldn't be afraid. Yeah. But we all have fear, you know. None of us are fear free. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I mean, even Solomon said, like, you know, expressed doubts in um in Ecclesiastes. Yeah. You know, none of us are doubt free, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. No, no doubt. None of us have perfect faith. It doesn't mean you don't have strong faith, but I feel like if perfect faith would remove fear. Yeah. Yeah. And per- perfect faith and perfect love would cast out fear, which, but none of us are living it in perfect faith or perfect love. This, you know, this side of eternity. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something we all deal with. We all, we all are like King Trident <laughs> in some degree or another. All, you know, I think every human being has an aspect of that. Because like um, King Trident, we haven't seen the other side. We've yeah, only, there you go, Tori. We've only seen, like, we've only kind of inferred it from other things we've seen. We haven't really yeah. experienced the other side. Yes, Tori, thanks for pushing this this forward with the, with the film. Because one of the, the main motivators uh, uh, of King Triton's fear is the unknown of the surface. The unknown above the the sea and the underwater world that he inhabits you went up to the surface again didn't you didn't you nothing happened oh ariel how many times must we go through this you could have been seen by one of those barbarians by by one of those humans daddy they're not barbarians they are dangerous do you think i want to see my youngest daughter snared by some fish eater's hook i'm 16 years old i'm not a child don't you take that tone of voice with me young lady as long as you live under my ocean you'll obey my rule but if you would just listen not another word and I am never, never to hear of you going to the surface again. Is that clear? 
and, and but you see in the film through uh, the storyline of John Smith and and the people who who live uh, above the surface that the surface is good. You know that that it's not this. This. Did you say the storyline of John Smith? What's up? Did you say, Did the I say John Smith? Oh no! no. <laughs> Got Pocahontas it, on the brain. Oh, Prince Eric, right? Yes. <laughs> sorry about I'm sorry. that. Yeah, Prince Eric. Um, and you see that there's that there's so much good above the surface, and it's something that King Triton does doesn't know about, or he's kind of unaware about it. So, so his fearful, I think, imagination takes over. Um, and I think that's something that we all deal with too. Is, is if we don't know about something, like like if we don't know the future, or I'll even say if we don't really know another person, I, I think the default mode for us as as broken creatures is um, fear and negativity. It's not love and benefit of the doubt and positivity. Do you know what I mean? Like our default mode, if we don't know, like if something hasn't proven itself to us yet, like the future hasn't proven what it's going to be yet. People we don't know haven't, haven't like, we don't haven't, we haven't proven themselves to us yet. And I, I know from my own experience, like if I, like for the example, the future, it, it, me not knowing the future, I tend to think, fear-based thoughts about the future, like all of these negative things that could potentially happen very, instead of the default mode living in, in, in hope and, in and, and thinking about the, the good possibilities out there. Um, I think we kind of jump to more of a fear-based mindset and also with people, I don't think that, and I can, I'll, I'll speak to, for myself, but I think it's a case for a lot of people is I have trouble like giving people grace especially because of my own insecurities. So if I see somebody um, that I don't know and, and like they, they might like give, like look at me a certain way, or I feel like they're carrying themselves a certain way, I'll automatically like, like think that, Oh, they, they don't like me or they're, they're cocky or that they're, they're up, you know, they're mean or something, you know what I mean? Where I have no idea what's going on. And I'm probably putting out the same vibes to other people who don't know me instead of giving them grace and like giving them the benefit of the doubt and, and approaching people that I don't know yet or don't know as well yet with love. Do, do, does that make sense, Tori? It's like the, the unknown always puts us in a fear-based kind of more negative space. It seems like default mode. I, I think we can get past that, especially through our faith, but that, that always seems to think seems to be the thing that we have to fight against initially. What do you think, Tori? Can you relate to that? Yes. Um, I think people's default mode is to protect themselves. You know, I think we mm -hmm. feel inherently kind of weak and vulnerable and are, we have more of like a, like a survival instinct for lack of a better word, you know? And so I think we have kind of a, this mindset that guilty until proven innocent is going to be safer for us is less risky. Yeah. And so we kind of operate with that default, but God is kind of, he's the opposite. He doesn't have that fear because he knows what's going to happen. We try to take out, remove the bad. And in the process, we also remove the good that could come in because yeah. we think it's just safer to be at least in a neutral, at least we know what to expect. God wants to take us into the 
outside world, the other realm where, you know, there's the good and the bad, where you have to get through some of the bad to gain the good. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost, you know, the the Bible calls us to be like Christ. And um, the Bible says that Christ reveals God. And um, mm-hmm. obviously the, the symbol of the Christian faith, the ultimate revelation is um, God hanging on that cross, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 almost the the poster person for vulnerability hanging naked on a cross Mm -hmm. um and it goes to show that god is willing to be vulnerable it's almost like that's what love is it's it's like this Mm -hmm. other centered kind of self um self-forgetting openness and riskiness uh to the good of the other you know what i mean and it's it's yes. total vulnerability um and i it, it's 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 hard to learn to be that way because it does go against our kind of fallen fear-based self-protective um mindset that that we all have and that we all have to fight against and learn to to die to but that's a, that's so hard because the part of the reason or part of the way that we can get to that vulnerable vulnerable place is to have that mm-hmm. security that we have that love backing us. Yeah. So we don't feel like we have to self-protect as much. So I think it all begins in the revelation of how all encompassing God's love is for us, but we forget it on every day and every, and you know, every hour we forget it. Um, yeah. We focus so much on the negative that we forget how much the positive outweighs it. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we, we lose perspective very easily. Um, ben, on his notes, um, he mentioned the, out, the, the world on the land, the outside world, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. as above um, the surface. Kind of, <laughs> the world above the surface as kind of representing uh, the spiritual world. Yes. And sure. because it's kind of this unknown, it's something that we see signs of. It's something that Ariel, like like us, we kind of long for, but we can never fully have access to it. Yes. It's always kind of removed. Yes, yes. And, and she has that, that limited access before mm-hmm. will we get further in the story where, you know, she comes under the spell mm-hmm. of the, the witch and... Um, has was able to become a human, but but prior to that, in these early scenes, um, Ariel sees hints of the surface mm-hmm. world. She is able to gather trinkets, almost symbols or, or representations of the surface. Um, you know, she's able to go above the water at times and like see ships from afar, or even see the. The, the the shoreline and the land from a, a distance, but she's never like fully present in the surface world. She she's always uh, one fin in, one fin out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or or she sees these symbols that she's collected in in her grotto mm-hmm. that represent it. So, Tori, great great point. That that's very very similar to. Uh, uh, our longing for something beyond this world, you know, and, and 
in her song part of that world she let's says, go let, let's go into part of that world tori because that's where i wanted to mm -hmm. go okay. uh ariel's first ballad part of part of your uh what is it called mm -hmm. part of your world um in her grotto this is after mm -hmm. she gets reprimanded by king triton for uh going to the surface mm -hmm. um i think that she her and flounder got weren't they like chased by a shark or something somehow anyway somehow she ends up at the surface <laughs> uh king triton uh finds out about it and reprimands mm -hmm. her and that's where king triton goes crazy he's like, he gets really yeah. fear-based and he's like you shall never go to the surface again you know hurry up, you're grounded yeah you know? and, and then she's like oh. well, he, doesn't, he doesn't quite go off the deep until a little later he's getting there he okay Sebastian to spy on her oh yeah yeah so anyway so this is her kind of mm -hmm. Actually, I don't know, man. I I, I need to get the, the storyline toward correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, anyway, she ends up, I don't know if this is off the rep being like reprimanded, but she ends up in her grotto where she's collected yes. all of these trinkets yes. and, and stuff from the surface world, and she expresses her longing for yes, the surface and to be a part of that. I don't see how a world that makes such wonderful things could be bad. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Wouldn't you think I'm the girl? The girl who has everything. Look at this trove, treasures untold. How many wonders can one cavern hold? Looking around here, you think, sure, she's got everything. I've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. I've got who's it's and what's it's galore. You want thingamabobs? I got 20. But who cares? No big deal. I want more. I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them dancing, walking around on those, what do you call them? Oh, feet. <laughs> Flipping your fins, you don't get too far. Legs are required for jumping, dancing, strolling along down a... What's that word again? Street. Up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun, wandering free. Wish I could be part of that world. one thing that interesting that she says is like um i've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty i've got woozits and what's it's galore he's like she mentions herself as like the girl who has everything but she still wants more so yeah. it doesn't matter how many trinkets from the spiritual world she collects they can never truly satisfy her she could fill her grotto and fill her grotto and they're still from the outside world there's still legitimate signs of the world above but they never fulfill her because at the end of the day they're only signs they're not the real thing and she acknowledges that there's no amount of collecting of these things even though they're good and even though they represent something good them in themselves are never going to fulfill her they're only going to increase her longing for the world kind of above the surface and i think you could parallel that to humans with we try to fulfill ourselves you know kind of with a god-shaped hole with things that are still good you know like music and art and everything things that 
hints at the the spiritual realm, but if we try to make those kind of gods in themselves, they never fulfill us. There's no amount of, oh, I'll just keep collecting, that it's going to give us what we're ultimately after. It's only going to increase our longing kind of for yeah. that world above, I guess. For the yeah. for the, the world we were created to be in. For sure. It's almost like certain you're trying to punch through this veil that mm -hmm. you know there's something more to all of this and to life and to existence and to who mm -hmm. we are, but you can't quite punch through it. You know, it, it's, it's go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I was go gonna say, it's interesting. Her grotto, it's very small and contained and she's, it's kind of like a protective kind of, but there's this light at the top and it's like the light from the, the surface world but she can only get like kind of like her arm through it, you know, and she can't, yeah. but it kind of like represents this thing that's always there, but she can't ever quite get at it. You know, it's, you know, same as we're never going to have that ultimate fulfillment while we're on earth. You know, she's, she is never going to be able to truly have that fulfillment while she's kind of in the world below or in the ocean. Yeah. And it's very interesting that she creates this little oasis for herself, this mm -hmm. grotto. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of us do. We kind of create, we all have our own kind of grotto, you know, that, yes. that points to heaven and, and whatever's beyond this life. And to, it points to beauty. It yes, points, definitely. it points to love and, um, I'll give an example in my own life and then try to let you do the same of maybe like a, some grottos that, that we have. Um, and since we're doing a Disney episode, I talk about vulnerability tour. I'm going to talk about how I enjoy Disney, you know, so shame I'll be on little, you. I'll be, a little, you. I'll be a little lame and vulnerable. Um, you can only in, enjoy hip hop and working <laughs> out because you're a man. But I do like working out and, and hip hop as well, you know. So. No, Brett, they're not <laughs> compatible. They they can't exist together with Disney. It's it's not possible. Yeah, it must be a cover. My interests are varied. They're they're so random. Um, <laughs> so since we're on the topic of Disney, like a a grotto of mine is actually kind of what Disney evokes as a whole like what the, the company as a whole through their their films the their parks through the music through their message um all about as lame as it might seem on the surface but you know like uh, dreams coming true and having that happy ending and and um you know all a lot of that can sound cliche on the surface and you can write it off but i think <laughs> If, if we're all going to be honest with ourselves, we all deeply long for that. We long for it's, that. It's happy like the ending. tale is old as time. That's something that's kind of like written on our, yeah. our hearts, that kind of hero's journey. The, the idea that everything can be all right in the end. Like there's like a greater story that's happening. Yes. That is beyond our current suffering. Yes. And I think Disney points to that, you know, a lot of their, mm -hmm. their films, um, the, the stories do that for me. They, 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 they bring hope to me. Um, I think a lot of it is it also brings me back. Cause I had a lot of very positive experiences with the Disney animated movies and the parks when I was a child. 
Um, it was a big part of my life. So it, it, it brings me back to a more innocent time in my life and maybe a little bit more of a pure uh, place for me as a, as a person. Um, you know, that, chi that childlike core that we all have that tends to get squandered a little bit in our, our adult yeah. lives and suffocated. And I think that Disney brings that purity out again and that, that hope, there's a special kind of hope that you have when you're a child that you lose. You know what I mean? Yeah, when you realize the war, the way the world works, you start to go into the survival mode to try to just get to try to survive, to be honest, this mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Um, you, you don't have that when you're a kid, especially if you, you had a, a good parents, you know, who were able to protect you from a lot yeah. of this stuff. Uh, which we did. And so Disney like really has a strong nostalgic value for me. And um, the, the parks uh, bring a, a lot of peace to me because of, of just how, how nice it is there and how it's all wrapped up in story and positivity. And um, it, you know, just, just all the, the themes of Disney, you know, you got like mm -hmm. the shows and stuff and, and the adventure is a big part of mm -hmm. the Disney parks. Um, I think the the big thing is story. Disney's all about story. If you're to boil it down to one thing, and yeah, and about those like those stories that have been told over and over. You know, like those classic fairy tales, the stories that yeah appear throughout all of human history. And the reasons there's classics, the reason there's mm -hmm. classics, you know? So anyway, that, that for me in my own life, that, that seems like a grotto, like as weird as it sounds, but like the Disney parks, the Disney films, even in my adult life is kind of like that gr aerial grotto for me that don't give me that full complete satisfaction that mm -hmm. because nothing can this, uh, it, this side of the veil, but it, it has that beam of light through a hole that I feel points mm -hmm. I like, to God. I, like, I like the term this side of the veil. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> cause to be honest, heaven doesn't have the best um, imaginative <laughs> connotation in me. So no. I don't, I don't like that word. <laughs> so Treats of gold, fluffy clouds. Yeah. I picture just like a giant open, like clouds of the ground. And then it's just a giant open space. And there's just like little like groups of people here and there. Yeah. It gives, it literally gives me a headache to think about. So I know it's think medieval art for that. Yeah. So, so what about you, Tori? What, what's, what's sort of a grotto in your own life? Oh man. Um, video games which kind of it kind of it always goes back to story too you yeah. know like whatever i mention even if it's music or video games or movies or something i'm creating like everything i feel like is me telling like a story or interested in a story or creating a story you know mm -hmm. where life is part of this narrative and, and it has meaning um something where you know you feel like you can connect with people even if it's like a fictional character in a way that feels kind of safe i guess yeah yeah versus like the outside world where you might be rejected or this and that there's something about being able to fully engage in a world whether it be for like a show a movie or a video game but there's still like a sense of safety there you you kind of feel what it it's like to be able to like fully engage in something 
and to not just be self-protective and on guard and self-conscious, I guess. Yes. Yes. It's all about getting our eyes off of our, our selves and our own like self-consciousness and getting it more purely out on the world in front mm-hmm. of us and out on people. And I think that goes back to that more loving, vulnerable posture of self-forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. um, fantasy and like you're mentioning video games, Tori, you're, you're kind of going on this, especially the video games today are so rich in story mm-hmm. and the way they present um, the, the, the worlds that you're able to explore. And, and it's, it's, it's this chance to go on an adventure um, and then have that self-forgetfulness because you, you kind of are infused with the character that you're playing, you know? So yes. you're interacting with all these other characters within the game, but it's more of a pure interaction because you're not, yeah, it's you're, not mm-hmm. no go tour. Oh, sorry. Go. Yeah. Cause you're not on, you're, you you don't have guards around your gate yes. ready to shoot down any potential threats at all times. Yeah. You ready know what to I, defend your honor and this and that. Exactly. Exactly. It's, 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 it's the classic. And I know this is kind of bad, but I feel like my head's just up my butt sometimes, most of the time, Tori, like, <laughs> like <laughs> I need to chill, you know, like, and not in a bad way, not like I'm like a, a, a like all stiff about stuff and like, a, you know, all stuffy but like i'm all we're all so self-conscious it's so yes. brutal um the uh no tori, tori would you if you have to speak speak tori just okay, go Tom Hanks it. said self-consciousness is the death of an actor i think self-consciousness is the death of many things so man this is sparking a lot of stuff a lot of reminders in me right now so tori you just mentioned tom hanks okay and that quote and that is so true so um Going right along with that, uh, there's a there was a portion of an interview with um, Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. on Inside the Actors Studio. If you remember that show yes. with James Lipton, and if you know Bradley Cooper, actually went to that acting school where they hold Inside mm-hmm. the Actors Studio. So he was coming back as as a guest, but he was That's be a cool feeling. yeah he was a student, and of course the whole audience is all acting. Um, students and there was a portion of the interview where um, he he was asked who his I think it was one of his teachers were in the acting school and he immediately started breaking down and crying like he couldn't like 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 James Lumpton just asked who she was and just that immediately sparked this this like deep emotion in Brad in Bradley Cooper and he couldn't bring himself together and he pointed and it was this lady on the front row mm-hmm. and everyone clapped and stuff. And then like, it took him like minutes to get himself together and um, to, to explain why she meant so much to him. And she said that, or he said that the, that he was never re- able to completely relax in his life until he met her and took her class. Who was your basic technique teacher? (sighs) (sighs) May I introduce to all of you Elizabeth Kemp.
What were her classes like? Loud crier too. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not like a. I'm not like. I'm not like a sobber. I'm like. A, it's very. It's ugly. So I apologize. I can't talk with tears. It's gonna be like hyperventilating. Um. I. I, I was thinking about this today. <clears throat> and the thing that I wanted to say was. Uh, I was never able to relax in my life before her. And I thought that was powerful because powerful. I can relate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and it goes right along with Tom Hanks' quote with self-consciousness, the death of an actor. And I think part of maybe her class was to, to teach the students and get them to a place where they um, they do okay. you do truly forget yourself and there's a, there yeah. is such a peace and a relaxation that can just come over you in like a tidal wave of 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 just something you you don't experience and and I don't know I've always compared this is kind of random I, I know we're going mm -hmm. off on a huge tangent but <laughs> but that's why I like to do these movies you know we're not going to be like sticking right to Little Mermaid the whole time but you want to see where these discussions take us but yeah um, I've always felt similar like with my personality to Bradley Cooper I know that's random but and I've been you told also look like him. <laughs> I've been told I look like him and I kind of have the same mannerism so I feel like we're kind of the same sort of personality. Um, so when he, when he tears up and, and it gets to that emotional place where he couldn't relax in his life, I can relate Yeah, because I feel like I'm similar to him where I'm always on guard. Yeah. And, you're always on. Mm -hmm. And, and Tor, to be honest, I took a, an acting class a few years ago mm -hmm. and I remember there was moments in that class where we did like these kind of meditative acting exercises. Mm -hmm. It was like after work, like on Tuesday nights. And I remember like I, I normally would go do something else. I would like go to the gym or like watch a movie or do my own thing. But I, sometimes I didn't feel like going to this acting class. But oh my goodness, it was such a, a good experience for me. And I remember there was a few moments in the class where we were doing these meditative exercises. And I actually felt, I think what Bradley Cooper was talking about, like this mm -hmm. relaxation tour, you have no idea. And there was something about me not just being by myself. I was with this group. And we were all kind of in this, we were all there for the same reason. We all like were pro, we yeah. all decided to do this. So there was like a camaraderie in that. And the teacher was so chill and nice and stuff. And he was leading us through these. And it's like, man, I can, I can, that's such a beautiful thing. And it does not come my way. And I think a lot of people's ways that often this, this real sense of peace and, and total relaxation and self and self-consciousness going out the door makes me think of uh, the practice of uh, meditation as more of an Eastern kind of practice. There, uh, there's this thing called Christian mysticism where things like meditation and kind of being able to kind of reach for those higher spiritual things through that means is kind of a focus. And that's not something that we have much of in the Western world. 
it's something that's kind of lost to us, especially in the modern age. But meditation is is a form of self-forgetting. It's a form of self-emptying. Yeah. You know, they say like you kind of become like one of what's around. You kind of empty your thoughts, your self-consciousness, your your cognition, your metacognition, you know. And it's I mean, that's how, you know, a lot of them, um, like the monks will like even have um like their spiritual like experiences, their mystical experiences by by doing this. You know, yeah. there's some there's something about that. There's some power in that, I guess. Yes. It, it's it's ironic. Ironically, actually, is very freeing and makes you feel much better than kind of clinging on to For yourself sure. and protecting yourself. You realize it's kind of that's the space that we're made for. It's a pointer to to what's beyond. I think the, the kind of the state of consciousness and the state of being that we're destined for. I think is hints of that are found in that meditative yes i um, think there's a lot of value in the kind of the eastern philosophy and religions that um i, I do think that we've kind of ne neglected because we like things in more in western philosophy very kind of concrete and defined and yeah for sure hey tor you know what what your your video game example reminded me of as well uh dreams mm -hmm those dreams when you're kind of uh, going yeah. on an adventure or you're going on a story and, and in your dream, you're never self-conscious. You're always more, you're purely yourself. I don't know, Brett. I don't, <laughs> my dreams, I'm, I'm being well, self-conscious. In, in, in the good dreams, you know what I mean? In, in the good ones, <laughs> not yes. the traumatic ones. Yeah. Dreams, you're able to experience that. Most of my dreams, I'm well, you know, like the dreams were like you're self-conscious because, like, yeah, I, oh, I guess you, I should... you have to use the bathroom and they're you're all exposed. And... Yeah, well, there's different. I mean, like more the good dreams when you're like you're like meeting people and you're kind of going on this adventure sort of thing. Yeah, you're just kind of going with everything. You're just kind yeah. of like going with whatever life presents to you. Yeah, those type of dreams kind of yes. remind because I've had a few of those lately, which have been real cool. Um, and it reminded me of your video game example. So anyway, that was a long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a long tangent, right? But I feel like it was very important to park at that scene where Ariel's singing part of your world and in, in her oasis and kind of explain what that would be for us. Oh, I I'm think it has the most need in terms of like the um, theological implications. Agreed, agreed. And I know anybody listening, you could probably think about what that is for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, what is your little mermaid oasis <laughs> you know what i mean and i feel like that scene really captures that well you know what i mean it if, does very well like if we're it brings it to life it's kind of a universe a nice universal picture within a, a story in a film that really encapsulates that feeling mm -hmm. that i think we all have to some degree and, and disney um, always has that like longing song where they're yes. always like longing for something greater out there that they can't quite reach and i think that always invokes kind of that deep feeling in us of wanting to connect with this spiritual, this otherness that we can never reach. Yeah. That's why one of the reasons I love Disney is it, it plays on that theme a lot. Definitely does. Doesn't it like hunchback you got out there, you got like uh, I can go the distance and mm -hmm. Hercules and there's yeah. always that song. There's all, yeah. And um, beauty and the beast, the, uh, the re bell reprise the bell reprise and Mulan would be maybe reflection. Mm hmm. 
I mean, there, there's always something that is kind of a ballpark in that. Yeah, that would probably be a little bit more off, but still somewhat similar in Milan. Um, anyway, Tori, so so take us, continue to take us on the journey of the Little Mermaid. What, um, where do we go from the Oasis? Okay, well, um, so Ariel sees a ship is coming on a on a different day. And so she goes up there and that's where she sees Eric and she falls in love, love at first sight. And um, when she gets back down to the surface, she's kind of in a lovey dovey state and King Trident, her dad thinks that she's in love with like a merman. So she's going to stop thinking about the outside world. Well, he finds out that she's in love with a human because Sebastian who I think is the best character. By I the love way, Sebastian. And in my rewatching of it, I realized how, how awesome Sebastian, and he's multi-layered too. Yes. He he's like, where he is kind of like the fear of the King, but he also really wants to do the right thing. Then you can always see this conflict in him. And he's also really yeah. funny. I think he's a lot funnier than like flounder or scuttle. Agreed. I think Sebastian's a great character, but yeah, continue tour. Okay. Um, so he actually lets it slip that, um, Ariel is, um, in love with the human. Because he thinks that he thought that King Triton already knew that, so King Triton is like, "Oh heck no!" So he storms into her grotto, and she has this now statue that was given to her as a gift by Flounder of um, of Prince Eric, and so he decides that the only way I can stop her from going to the outside world, because in his mind, if she goes, she's just going to be turned into fish food. <laughs> is yeah. I'm just gonna, <laughs> which could be accurate. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like I gotta stop this, so I have to destroy. I, like I have to do some sort of big something, you know, to to stop her. So he decides I'm just gonna destroy everything, and he, he just goes overboard a little bit. <laughs> he destroys, and you know, I feel like he tried to destroy all your spiritual trinkets. It's kind of like life, Brett. You know, like your spiritual trinkets are collected from your childhood. And then as you get older and, and go through high school and get a job, then, you know, that's kind of like King Triton just going around. Uh, destroying all your trinkets. <laughs> just blowing it up savagely. Sorry. That's, my, that's my new spiritual co uh, connection. <laughs> are you talking about dad throwing stuff away? No. What are you talking about? No, I'm talking about oh. King Triton is life. Oh, he's life. <laughs> life. And he's when you're a child, you make this grotto yeah, and it's no, beautiful totally. and magical. And then as you go to like kind of middle school is kind of where it starts, where life comes in and starts kind of shooting things oh, down. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought about like dad like tossing stuff. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Our dad used to um, have a bad habit of throwing things away. He should. But dad also keeps a lot of like he really does. good keepsakes. So, he yeah. does. It's no, just, yeah. Like, King Trident joke. is just freaking life. He's like, he's, <laughs> so King Trident is like, he's like, Middle and high school, King Trident is your job. King just Trident destroying is all your child. Trident is wonder. your self conscious. It's just taking, it's like, pew, 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 pew. Oh, you're like trying to tree. collect the things like that you trying to like save your few precious things and try to collect yes. them more. And put them oh, on the my life comes down and he starts plowing them down again. Pew, it's pew, pew. so true. Oh my goodness. Daddy, I love him. Lost your senses completely? He's a human. You're a mermaid. I don't care. So help me, Ariel. I am going to get through to you. And if this is the only way, so be it. Daddy! No! 
Oh, anyway, so King Trident goes cray, Tori. Continue. Yes. And perhaps we are our own King Tridents who oh. try to block out our spiritual wonders and things that made us happy out of fear. Oh, man. And self protection. Because you think it's just going to set you up for disappointment as you get older. Yes. So I'm not even going to dream anymore. I'm not even exactly. going to hope, hope anymore. It, it's because you're afraid of kind of getting your heart broken. So you kind of destroy your own grotto. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, I don't that's true. Um, so he does that, and she's obviously dev. Or you could think of it as S Satan too. You could think of him as the one, like, pew, pew. yeah. <laughs> he can't actually destroy the outs. He can't actually affect the world above. But because your trinkets from it are being destroyed, you think that that's almost like an equivalent. Like now, yes. my connection to the spiritual world is gone. It must not be real, even though it's not gone in reality. Because the you connect it with the trinkets. Like if the trinkets are gone, then it's gone. Yes. Kind of. Yes. So. Um, and that th those are those are the moments in life where, um, you know, you're going through a, a hardship, a grieving process, depression, or something mm -hmm. where the pointers and the longings and whatever we have that points us there doesn't quite do the trick. Yeah, well, it's like and, with depression, the things that you enjoyed, you don't enjoy anymore. Yeah. It's, it, it's not that you don't have those things. It's that they don't, you know, they don't bring you happiness or fulfillment anymore. You've kind of lost this hope. You've lost the narrative. Yes. You've lost the, the connection to this other world. You know, now you don't believe it to exist. Yeah. And and again, it's it's that trust. And that's probably the, the hardest um times of life to have that faith that, mm -hmm. that that is still there that it's like no matter what we feel that that is still true it's like the yeah. ultimate test of trust and of faith yes. and we don't feel it even if there are no trinkets around us we have to remember yeah the fact that we had found them in the first place and we got to believe that somewhere in that darkness god's hand is extended yes um yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So then Ursula comes in, and I think in uh, Ben's notes, because I, I just want to throw in that Ben is contributing ideas to here. Yes, He's Ben, ben contributed. Beyond. He contributed his notes to this podcast. So Ben yes. is very much in this discussion in spirit. Yes. So um, he mentions um, Ursula kind of being like Satan, who kind of uses your desires, which are, you know, a lot of them are inherently good if they were, you know prioritize correctly you know like there's yeah. good in it then she uses that to tempt you to do something bad or dangerous that could harm yourself yes so it's like oh okay well you want to go to the outside world where well, i kind of have an easy way i kind of have a shortcut and she's kind of setting you up for failure she has all these conditions she's setting you up to fall but you so badly want the thing, even though you know it's dangerous, even though you know it's not good for you, you do it anyway, just because you have to get a taste of the, you know, you have to get that fulfillment. Yes. And it's a shortcut. Yes. Right? It, it's the shortcut. It's the easy way out that doesn't really get you what you want. Yeah. Yes. And I, I think that's difficult for us sometimes because we want to take the shortcut to our longings and to our desires because it's yeah, easier. We're like, well, we're like people in a desert, like starving. Yeah. It's, it's hard when we're cut off from our main 
I mean, God is that life source, but a lot of the times we don't feel that or we're, you know, like we're not fully in that life source or we haven't like done the practice and discipline to, to feel God's presence consistently. So we feel that sense of starving and, you know, it's like drinking salt water. It's like, Oh, there's water. It's an easy fix, but it actually dehydrates you more. You rather get the salt water in front of you than take the long journey to get the fresh water. Yes. Yeah, 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 for sure. And and a lot of times it stinks in the moment, but God needs to take us through a roundabout way to get us that, blessing or that um fulfillment at the end of the road but he he takes us in on more of a a, a journey that takes time that uh grows us uh spiritually um and it's it's hard because a lot of it is a lot of the spiritual journey and and god bringing certain blessings into life is a waiting game for a lot of it and waiting is is very difficult um so it's always tempting to try to get it in a a quick easy fix kind of instant mm-hmm. gratification kind of way you know it's the uh, temptations yeah. are always there and yeah i think that temptation comes from from satan and you know the darker powers and principalities mm-hmm. that kind of hold sway over us and the world um and that's ursula in in the mm-hmm. story is she she takes a, a, a kind of a longing and a love that that is a good thing. You mm-hmm. know, Ariel's love for Eric is a good thing, but she tempts her with taking the shortcut through these, yes. these dark spells, you know, to become a human, but lose her voice and all this stuff. Um, and she, she's tempted into entertaining these dark powers, which we should always steer clear of. Right. But she, but with the dark powers never, they always tempt us through things that they know will get us hooked. You know, they know yes. that they know what we long for, you yes. know? So that's how they reel us in just like Ursula reels Ariel in with uh, Eric. And, and part of Ben's notes, he mentioned um, some of like the trinkets and some of kind of what Ursula is doing as kind of like, um, it could be drawing to like the, the occult or kind of like witchcraft things where yeah. you could potentially access the spiritual world on a level, but in a way that's not, that was kind of toxic, I guess. Yeah. You know, and I guess he thinks kind of like Ursula, the witch and like using the spells to get up to there, you know, like those can all be considered, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like witchcraft, the, all of that stuff. Like almost a much more direct comparison to. Yeah. It's it's more direct. (laughs) Yeah. Rather than figurative, you know, Mm -hmm. there are sketchy (laughs) kind of dark magic kind of, things that people get involved with, you know, like actually get involved with in this world, which is yeah. very almost directly like Ursula. Yeah. I mean, she's like, powers. she's like a sea witch, right? She, yeah. So I'm sure Christians have a lot of varying beliefs on, on that, but I'm in terms of, as they do mention it in the Bible, you know, they do mention things like witchcraft. So in terms of that way to be, to access the spiritual world you could definitely draw a direct comparison to Ursula. Yes. Yes. Um, so Ariel gives in and she, Ursula makes this deal with her where Brett, does she make a deal with the devil? She definitely makes a deal with a devil esque character for show. So the deal is 
that Ursula, well, Ursula sings her song, right? Poor Unfortunate mm -hmm. Souls. Yes. Poor Unfortunate Souls. That's a good song. My dear sweet child, that's what I do. It's what I live for, to help unfortunate merfolk like yourself. Poor souls with no one else to turn to. I admit that in the past I've been a nasty. They weren't kidding when they called me well a witch. But you'll find that nowadays I've mended all my ways, repented, seen the light, and made a switch. Yes. And I fortunately knew a little magic. It's a talent that I always have possessed. And here lately, please don't laugh. I use it on behalf of the miserable, lonely, and depressed. Pathetic. Poor unfortunate souls in pain, in need. Another good, good one song. from The Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid has some good, good songs in it. Oh, um, you know what we totally blew over, Tori, is Under the Sea with Sebastian. That was Sebastian's passionate, <laughs> genuine attempt to save Ariel from her father's wrath. Oh, I love Sebastian. Let's, 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 let's revisit Sebastian here in a second, Tori. Um, so, so the deal is, is Ariel has to give her voice <clears throat> for the chance to become human. Now, sing. Obviously, she's a mermaid. It's a chance for her to have legs, become become a human. So, <laughs> I don't know why I laughed at the become legs comment, or to to get legs. Sorry, Tori, getting leggies is is pretty much the main thing that happens to make her human. That's about right, it. That's so. all she needed. That's all she wanted was literally to grow two pair of dangly legs. That's what the whole story. I'm trying around. to clarify. I know becoming human is self-explanatory, but I like to be specific. She gets a pair I of know. legs. Okay. I just, I, I like, <laughs> I like the expression. She gets a pair of legs. I don't know why. You know what it is? It's, it's a typical me expression. I always say weird crap like that when I'm, no, it's not it's weird. Like, it's true, Brett. That's yeah. exactly what she wants. That's exactly what she gets. A pair of legs. <laughs> Hey, honey, so you want a pair of legs, toots? I got you a pair. Come on now. Come on to Anderson. It's like uh, Sid's, a um, in Sid's room where you have that, like, <laughs> I think it's, what, what's it called? It's like a, a fishing rod, and then you have, like, two pair of legs, like, stuck on Dear it. Dear God, there ain't nothing. It reminds me of, like, a Christmas story, too, with the lamp with leg. There ain't nothing more disturbing than a woman's legs without the body. You know what I mean? Um <laughs> <laughs> Good God. Okay, so so yeah, so she becomes human and through a series of events she washes up onto shore near the kingdom uh where Prince Eric lives. But now in a sense she's become now she ha she had to become like a slave to Ursula. The same way we have we're you know kind of like slaves to sin. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know no, that for sure. That's pushing it, but um, do you think there's any? <laughs> nah, that's good. 
it's uh, the connection's not great. But As some good stuff, any, though, darn good stuff. Any, anything theologically you can pull from the fact that she had to lose her voice? Or do you think that's we could at least pull out a good girl power um, <laughs> metaphor there, if, if not theological? <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, maybe maybe it goes to show you that that, you know, sin and messing with the fallen powers and trying to go about it your own way inevitably leads to some sort of compromise. You end up uh, feeling the effects of that. You know what I mean? Um, it's you never, it's never a free lunch. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so the fact that she lost her voice, which is one of her, like pretty much her core, you know, her, one of her most prized possessions because she's very outspoken very uh, adventurous and a very big personality in the voices. That's the voice, you know, and she mm -hmm. has a beautiful voice too, the uh, singing mm -hmm. voice. So losing that is losing like almost her core. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in the long run, the, the film proves that uh, even in her broken state, she's still able to win the affections of Eric. But so Eric is on the beach and she, he's with his dog just hanging out and he notices Ariel. Um, I forget the dog's name, but Max. she is it Max. Oh, yeah, Max. Yeah. So they Max goes over because he sees Ariel first and brings Eric and uh, they meet for the first time. Mm -hmm. And it might be love at first sight. I don't know. Eric's I think well, Eric's digging or Ariel's digging. Her. He saw her once very briefly when she saved him from the wreck. She oh, sings yeah. a song. He sees her and then he kind of catches her singing to him and then she darts away. And then ever since then, he's kind of been obsessed with finding this girl. Oh, you're right. You're right. So uh, Prince Eric kind of takes her under his wing and um, brings her back to the, the castle to, um, for the castle staff and his family and <laughs> friends take care of her. Um, because she, you know, just found on the beach, no family or any friends or anybody around her. So they take her in. And, um, you know, through a whole series of e events, you know, they're, they're getting to know each other. Um, they, you know, explore the city together. Um, she kind of gets this introduction to this world that she's always longed to be a part of, the surface world on land. And, um, Obviously, in the meantime, the, the I'm sorry, a part of the deal that that she made with Ursula is um, she needs to fall or Eric needs to fall in love with her and have like a true love's kiss within three days or she'll permanently be without a voice or no, she'll be a slave to Ursula. <laughs> she'll be one of those little goober things. Yeah, that that's a have. pretty <laughs> that's, that's a pretty intense deal, man. That sucks if you don't get the job done. So. <laughs> Dang. So anyway, I don't think there's just a whole lot of shenanigans, you know. In the meantime, Sebastian's we're getting some comedic relief with Sebastian and the chef. Whoops! Sebastian's <laughs> always caught in the middle, getting whooped, trying his best to survive. Prepared in the classic technique. First you pound the fish flat with the mallet. Then you slash through the skin, give the belly a slice. Then you rub some salt in, cause that makes it taste nice.
Sebastian's just trying to look out, man. He's just trying to to not become food for the chef or uh, King Triton, or just like a pile of ashes from King Triton. <laughs> Poor it's hard Sebastian. Out there for a crab, Brett. I know, I know, crab's life. Sheesh. But you know, it's it's getting crunch time, right? A few days have passed, and Eric decides to take Ariel out on the on this boat uh, through this little kind of beautiful. I don't want to say grotto. We've already been talking about Ariel's grotto, but it was, it's kind of grotto-esque on Lagoon, the surface. Maybe? Lagoon, that, that, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, and since it's crunch time, all of her animal, all of Ariel's animal friends decide to help her out in this moment to get that kiss so she doesn't get turned into a There's little... There's something, Brett. Can you, can you make the journey without a, a strong group of Christian friends to support you? That's a message that you, you get a lot in church yeah, that you need people yeah, around yeah. you. And if you think about like any great story, I mean, there's very, there's almost none where someone's help isn't like necessary. Yes. You know, someone's outside help isn't necessary to completing the journey. Great observation, Tori. Um, yeah, that's so true. In all of the great narratives and the great stories, um, no one goes about the adventure or about the struggle alone. They always even have if, support. Even if they're traveling on there's people coming in and out all the time you know like yes. if you think about like in lord yeah. of the rings and there's so many people that were necessary yes to complete to, the journey yeah that's so true it's such a principle of life that we are just we are made for relationship and for community and 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 to support each other it, it's like death in a sense is isolation and aloneness mm -hmm. like that is the death of a person in, in, in a very real way you know um the, the, and it's funny like even probably some of the most lonely people in the world um who don't have many people around them or people in nursing homes and stuff I, you know it, and it's convicting that we should all need to show more love mm -hmm. to people and maybe go to the uh the what's the word i'm looking for go to the outskirts or the fringes of society yeah. and show love to, to people i mean that that's just a big that's a conviction for me i, I will yeah. say even in like a story or like the hero's journey there's like the people that only have like one scene with the character sometimes have the biggest impact yeah they completely, sometimes it's the people that have the shortest interaction with the yes. characters that they just kind of start turning them in the right direction and they have a huge influence on how the rest of the story goes. Yes. That's so true. It's, it's almost like it, it's, it's that, that, that spoken word over your life or that word mm -hmm. of support, that word of encouragement, that word of direction and love. It can just be a brief word from somebody, but that can be life changing. It doesn't you have to I mean? be, I have to commit the rest of my, I mean, sometimes you will, but some those little interactions matter. Yeah, for sure, man. Convict, you know, it's something that we all and I we should do more of. Obviously, and you know, just be that voice of encouragement into people's lives, especially people who need it mm -hmm. um, the most. But it, yeah, yeah, that's so true. And, and and she has this whole group of her like friends from the the sea that are supporting her throughout her whole time on the mm -hmm. surface. They're always kind of undercover, kind of following her and helping her, but but she always has that underlying support from her, her she, friends. She would, she would not have made it to the wedding boat without 
scuttle and yeah. flounder. And we'll get there. Yeah. I know. I, I skipped sure. ahead a little bit. <laughs> I, I did. Oh, no, no, I like it. I like it. Well, it, it's it's a it's a great example of the point we're making. So it's no mm -hmm. issue. But um never it's not an issue. <laughs> so they 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 all bond together and team together to put on their production of and um Sebastian shows what uh, a smooth stud he is. Yes, by singing Kisty Girl. <laughs> Percussion strings winds words. There you see her sitting there across the way. She don't got a lot to say, but there's something about her. And you don't know why, but you're dying to try. You wanna kiss the girl. Did, did you hear something? Yes, you want her. Look at her, you know you do. Possible she wants you to. There is one way to ask her. It don't take a word, not a single word. Go on and kiss the girl. Sing with me now. Sha la 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 my oh my look like a boy too shy ain't gonna kiss the girl. Sha la 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 ain't that sad ain't it a shame too bad he gonna miss the girl. Kiss the girl. All Sebastian wants to do is make beautiful music. <laughs> you know, and, and, and be smooth. And then he has gotta put up with all this crap. Oh man, they really they but they do a great job, don't they, Tor? They sound great. They sound on point. Everyone oh. really it's a little chaotic with them trying to help Ariel a lot of the time, but in, man, in that song they came together like oh. oh. <laughs> man. That was a beautiful scene. But they didn't I, get the job done, man, because the eels, um mm -hmm. Ursula's henchman eels come and tip the boat over and foil the plans. So. You want to think you can think about that in many ways. You know, you can think of more metaphorically live self-doubt, or you could think of them as literal demons to Ursula's yeah. devil. However you want to you want to think of them as, Spirit, as tapeworm. <laughs> spiritual warfare, Tori. You know, you got the mm -hmm. only two human beings in the picture are Eric and uh, Ariel, you know, falling in love, but you have these outside forces, Ariel's friends, forces of good. Okay, so you're thinking of them as angels now. Maybe, yeah. And then the eels for forces of evil and kind of that warfare going on behind right. the scenes that neither of them are aware of, Ariel or Eric. They don't, they're not aware right. of what's going on. Could they so. be angelfish? Oh, indeed. I'm done. I'm sorry. Indeed. But yeah, you're right. They're not aware. And that's important too is, yeah, they're completely unaware of the sabotage or the attempt to save the sabotage and all of that. You know, they just see the, yeah. the end outcome. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. They, and isn't that funny too? Like in our own world, sometimes we might not know what's going on in the spirit, in the, the spiritual realm behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Uh, we just, we just know what's kind of happening in front of us. And sometimes we're, we're, we're oblivious to maybe what's actually going on that kind of, battle for our hearts maybe we would be okay. singing hallelujah to an angel realizing what oh what they how they protected been, us what or, we've been saved from in our lives you know yeah for sure tori mm -hmm. um so anyway well, they don't not, get i said singing hallelujah to an angel i don't mean that you would praise an angel no tori i know what you're saying i know what you're saying so uh, I, you just be very thankful for what the angels done for you yes um 
so Tori, we're getting to that grand finale, right? So the kiss is foiled. And just to make sure that Ariel does not get that kiss, because Ursula is seeing that it's going down, that that Eric is falling in love with Ariel. And she has desperate times, Tori, before the third day. So, but desperate mm-hmm. times call for desperate measures, Tori. So what, what does Ursula do to 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 actually make sure Ariel is not successful? What any rational person would do. She decides she'll marry Prince Eric herself and pretend to be Ariel. <laughs> the Ariel that, oh, this is a good one, that Eric thought he was in love with. The person that he actually was in love with was there and he didn't realize it. But now the devil is taking the disguise of who, what you thought you loved. Because she's, she's using her voice. He thinks yeah. that she's the girl that rescued him. And so now she's tricked him into believing that she is who he actually loves. And she puts like a spell on him. Yes. And that could be like us. Like we catch a glimpse of, let's say, the spiritual world. You know, we have that C.S. Lewis joy longing. And then the devil tempts us into thinking, oh, this is what you actually found or love. This will give you fulfillment. Yeah. When what you actually love, you know, like God is is always there and you don't recognize it. Yes. He's like, he seems silent t- to you. You don't have that communication with him. You know, you haven't communicated with him the same way Ariel's kind of hasn't yeah. been able to communicate that. And then, so the devil like tricks you into thinking that this is what you actually wanted. Yeah. And takes the disguise of what you fell in love with, something that is, does resemble what was good and beautiful. Yeah. It's all about like d- d- deceiving us from our own pure. Mm-hmm. desires it's it's always a counterfeit it's always kind of redirecting our attention from god onto maybe something else but but tempt set, lying to us saying that this is what you really want this is what you, you're longing having half truths or an element of truth and goodness is what's going to deceive us the most because yeah. we do intuitively recognize that something that we experienced was good yeah yeah so toward they go out on this boat to get married right yes they go out to sea and ariel realizes i think what's going on and she bounds together bonds together with her friends again mm-hmm. and they have they 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 become this team mm-hmm. of um uh, of you know the the creatures of the sea and ariel to go thwart this plan of ursula i think scuttle is the one who finds out who this yes. woman actually is. He looks at her through this boat window before yes. the wedding, I want to say. He yeah. sees her reflection in the mirror and it's it's Ursula. <laughs> yeah. But for, for no explanation, like she looks exactly like a normal person, but hey, if she looks in the mirror, there's freaking Ursula's giant head looking And, and then also <laughs> while she was singing, it became her voice, her regular voice for some yeah. reason. I don't know if she took off the necklace or what. Just because, just because. <laughs> Soon I'll have oh. that little mermaid and the ocean will be mine. <laughs> the sea witch. Oh no. She's gonna I got it. Ariel! Um. Yes. <laughs> so they crashed the wedding, Brett. All of this the sea wedding all the, crashers. Uh, the the birds and the, the sea friends crash the wedding and cause chaos. Yep, and they thwart the plan. But then, then like she reveal, uh, Arrow gets pissed because it gets crashed. So Arrow's like, "Screw it all!" <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh my gosh, Ursula, obviously. And Ursula's like, screw it all. I'm going full blown Ursula mode. And she becomes like a freaking giant version of herself. Well, and important thing to remember is Ariel didn't get the kiss in time. She didn't quite make the deadline. Oh, yeah. So King Trident. Oh, yeah. They kiss, right? Tori, like, 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 all, when they thwart the wedding, um, they, they, they break the spell off of Eric. And then Eric sees Ariel and they realize what's going well, on. Yes. They, they, the, the, once the necklace is destroyed, yeah. Recognize it, Ariel, but they don't end up having the kiss. Okay. Yeah. Time runs out. The, the, the sun sets on the third yes. day. Yeah. Mm hmm. And Ariel blows up <laughs> to this giant ridge. She's... Ariel, Ariel blows up to a giant. Oh my gosh, ridge. Ursula! Oh why do I keep God. saying Ariel, man? Gosh, Ursula for crying it's out okay, loud. It's okay, Brett. It, in an alternate universe, that's how it ended. Oh, um, and so, so before that, she um, has Ariel captive, and she essentially can try to make a deal. There's like a contract and this oh, kind of yes. goes back to Narnia a little bit. Like a, a, like a Christ-like figure. Um, yes, there's like this binding contract. Well, to explain that, explain the Christ-likeness, well, explain the scene, but then explain the Christ-likeness of Trident in this, this decision. Okay. So there's a binding contract and even though Trident is good and wants to save his daughter more than anything, he still cannot violate the contract even though like it doesn't decrease his love for her in any way. Yeah. Um, so the only way around it, he says is if he can take the punishment for her, if he mm -hmm. can put his own name on the contract, then it'll still be fulfilled. Ursula, stop! <laughs> Why King Triton? <laughs> How are you? Let her go. Not a chance, Triton. She's mine now. We made a deal. Daddy, I'm sorry. I I didn't mean to. <laughs> you see? The contract's legal, binding, and completely unbreakable. Even for you. Of course, I always was a girl with an eye for a bargain. The daughter of the great sea king is a very precious commodity. But I might be willing to make an exchange for someone even better. Ha! It's done then! Oh, no! Your Majesty. Daddy? And that's kind of like the, uh, I think the term is penal substitution version of the cross, where a debt had to be paid for the sin of the world. And you couldn't just ignore it. You couldn't just ignore the binding contract that that that's true, like sin and violation had, had occurred. So the only way God could save us was, well, not couldn't, like he's powerless, but I mean, like, you know, like he's ultimately. Within this know, like, version like, of the. Like things have to be made right, you know, yeah. I guess. So, um, so the only God, the only way he could do it was this version of the atonement. Yeah. Take, take our place. So that goes with kind of the, the penal substitution. And that's what King Trident does is he takes place. And if you think of, you know, Ariel or Ursula as the devil, you know, and then he kind of, yeah. um, think of being a little goober as like being in hell, you know, like you become less of yourself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
shell of yourself. Yeah, like a shell of yourself. Um, and so he takes the place, and that that could be now. Now King Trine is kind of flipped from being someone who is totally you know. fear fear based and trying to control everything and protect his daughter, which was all you know out of love. But he he kind of yeah. turns. Mm -hmm. He grows through the movie past that sort of mindset into so total self sacrificial love. And and she, I think, and Ariel realizes too that that everything he did was, you know, even if it was misdirected, was out of love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ariel realizes that. Yeah. So he becomes the little goober. What does mm -hmm. he call? Oh, the poopsie. She calls him her poopsies. Oh goodness gracious, poopsie. <laughs> I believe so. Poopsie. So wow. he becomes a poopsie. I wow. look like little pieces of poop. As, oh as, goodness. You're right. So though. he becomes a poopsie. And Ariel um she tries to fight off Ursula to the best of her abilities. Ursula has the trident now. So yes. maybe you could think of with the penal substitution, with the cross, the crucifixion, that maybe Satan had the perception when Jesus died on the cross, that now he had the power. For that moment, he God. thought he had yes. victory. Yeah. Um, not that he ever, you know, it's a little divergent from the story because he never did, but there's still kind of that perception. That Well, that false perception. Yes, yeah. and and the world went dark. Um, I, Well, I guess it was sunset, so the world just naturally turned into night in um, The Little Mermaid. Yeah, but the the world when Jesus did die, the world went the day went dark. Yeah, you could definitely make that parallel though to the darkness yeah. over overcoming when Christ mm -hmm. descends mm -hmm. into the cross and into death, and King Triton descends into a sort of death as well. Yeah. So, um, so then, um, essentially, well, what happens is Eric steps up to the plate and. He kind of helps Ariel out, kind of gets her back up to the surface. I remember he does a little kick move underwater. I don't remember the context, but he does a <laughs> he kick did, move. He does a sweet kick move, like a John Wick yeah. kick move. I don't even, I've never even seen John Wick. <laughs> he does some Napoleon Dynamite sweet moves. Yeah. <laughs> he, gets, he gets a... So Ariel... Uh, Ariel. See, I'm, now I'm doing it. Ursula blows up. Okay, now she's big. Now she's big mama Ursula. Oh, now she's, she's, she's big mama. Big mama coming at you. Now, now she's... um, You know, and, and she's kind of she's seemingly undefeatable. You know, she's overwhelming us. And I guess you could parallel that, too, to certain problems in our lives where we feel like we've been overcome. Yeah. But, you know, about balloons, Brett, they deflate. All you got to do is pop them. They pop, so they, Eric, they. <laughs> Eric takes that great principle to work, and he gets his boat. He gets his giant screw-you boat. <laughs> and he pops that balloon. And, and rams the crap out of Ursula right in the belly button. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't make any spiritual uh, parallel to that. No, but... let's just enjoy the moment, Tor. There's no parallel. Let's just enjoy the moment of Ursula getting popped by a giant boat, okay? Let's just let that one sit.
<laughs> that's just straight up good stuff, right? There ain't, there ain't no, 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 there are no ifs, ands, or buts about that one, man. That's just solid crap. Right? <laughs> then, then the trident lands on the ground, which is is obviously the trigger for trident immediately turning back into a human, along with all the other captives. All the other say. captives, and that's like Jesus going down to Hades and mm -hmm. setting the captives free. Exactly. Baby. Now all of a sudden, people that were slaves to sin are no longer because he made that sacrifice. Because he came and went into the same position we were. Because he became yeah. like us, which is a little poopsie. Because he became a poopsie, he could now turn yeah. us poopsies into, into how we were originally created to be: full, yes. perfect human beings. Yes. Tori, don't you love the image of Christ busting out <laughs> of the gates of hell, carrying the keys and running with like a giant group behind him saying, let's go. Isn't there something freeing about that, Tori? Of course. There's nothing. There's no better image. Oh, that's and a if you're beautiful a image. If you're a universalist, you can take that image further and you can yeah. say that those were people that all of humanity yeah and that all of humanity will be redeemed let's go 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 i mean there that that is a sweet image man that that's a hopeful image and you know you could think of maybe let's say king trine is god maybe eric could be jesus potentially yeah. and kind of the ultimate marriage at the end and sebastian's the holy spirit <laughs> yeah he freaking is <laughs> so ariel has this ultimate kind of you know, because marriage is used as a metaphor a lot, where she can finally, because of it, she can join the outside world. But she had to have God's help. She had to King Trident's help. Yes. To do yes. it. And then she officially becomes part of that world. And you can, you know, think of that as kind of dying and going to heaven. For yes. sure. Definitely. Definitely. The great, the feast of heaven, right? Then the Yes. The wedding feast. Though exactly. it's a wedding, right? Christ. Yes, wedding. We are Christ's bride. It's yeah, a wedding. I was just saying that. Where have you been? Oh, I was on I was I was still thinking of Jesus hauling cheek like <laughs> out of the jail cell with keys. I'm so sorry I missed that, Tori. It's totally cool, Brad. I'm totally not offended. I so, totally agree with you on that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and I mentioned it more than once. I'm I'm deeply sorry. I'm tripping. I don't Tori. I, I'm weird. I'm weird. Sometimes I have selective hearing, especially on this podcast. Like I'll listen to it back and I'll realize all the stuff I miss because I'm my head. My head's kind of going crazy. I'm sorry. Mine too. You're thinking of the like, oh, this connection, and yeah, I can say that, yeah, and yeah. it happens. It's okay. I for forgive sure. you. For sure. So then he, he creates a rainbow with his trident, Brett. And the oh thing about rainbows is you can't ever actually reach the pot of gold. It looks like it has an end, but the illusion is out of our grasp. Oh yeah. So it's kind of like you're longing, like a. Dorothy somewhere over the rainbow. Yes. Just kind of like that future. You'll never get to me a pot of gold. <laughs> that's, that's my very... <laughs> wow, Tori. What parallels you're making attention. right now. No, I, I love I, I'm it. Stretching. I'm stretching. I'm doing yoga stretches right now to get something. Tori, I'm doing downward dog as we speak. Um, I know, that's disturbing. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway, and the that's it. Downward dog and downward prairie dog. A downward prairie dog. <laughs> okay, I don't even want to know what that is. But um, <laughs> anyway, so that that's the end of Little Mermaid, the, the happy ending. And that's all she wrote. So, Tori, I really appreciate you coming on this episode. This has been a uh, pleasure discussing I, this movie with you. I appreciate you inviting me a lot. Thank Indeed. 
And since Theologizers, we did not give Sebastian's main performance any love, which is Under the Sea. We are going to end this episode of the Theo Bros with a little snippet from Under the Sea. Thank you for joining us, Theologizers. We appreciate it. My dear sister, Tori, thank you so much for coming on and uh, doing this episode with me. I really appreciate it, Toto. Thank you, Brett. All right. Take care, Theologizers, and we will see you next time. Ariel, listen to me. The human world, it's a mess. Life under the sea is better than anything they got up there. The seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake. You dream about going up there, but that is a big mistake. Just look at the world around you, right here on the ocean floor. Such wonderful things around you. What more is you looking for? Under the sea, under the sea. Darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Take it from me. Up on the shore, they work all day. Out in the sun, they slave away. While the devoting full time, floating under the sea. <laughs> down here, all the fish is happy. As off through the waves, they roll. The fish on the land ain't happy. It's hard cause they in the bowl. But fish in the bowl is lucky. They in for a worse fate. One day when the boss get hungry. Guess who called me on the plate? This is the CEO Bros Podcast. Ha <laughs> ha.